y'all. Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Sola Perez. And I'm Vero Ayati Flores. And we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love. And this week we're doing a deep dive into the 1997 Buena Vista Social Club album. Yeah, this is a total classic and a breakout hit at the time, if mm -hmm. any of y'all were around and remember things in 1997. This was sort of all over the place and was unexpectedly, I want to mm -hmm. say, huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally unexpectedly. And there's also a documentary, I think, that goes along with it, but I don't know when mm -hmm. that was released. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was a huge moment for the musicians who were on this album who were previously like unknown to the world and are not even necessarily known in the present moment in Cuba, like that they weren't like actively, they were, they were musicians who'd been, had, had had a career, but weren't necessarily like in that moment, a group of, um, of musicians. So there's a lot of interesting things about this album that we'll get into, but before we do that, let's take another listen to the first song, which is um, my pick, but also the opening song on the album. And it's called Chan Chan. Okay, so the story behind this album is interesting. So it was meant like the, the people who went to Cuba to make an album weren't trying to make this album. They were trying to make another album, which was going to, or a project, which actually did end up happening later on. So it's this British record producer, Nick Gold, and American guitar guitarist, Rye Cooter. <laughs> is that how you say that? Um, so they wanted to make, a, make an album about the connections between Cuban and West African music, which is like, so deep right there's like so many mm -hmm. incredible connections between those really three. really deep yeah and um and so they'd arranged a group for a group of musicians from mali to come to cuba to record in havana with musicians from the island but they weren't able to the 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 african musicians weren't able to make it to cuba because of bureaucracy like their passports their visas never came um and mm. so they went anyway and they decided well we have this incredible group of musicians already um planning to gather why don't we do something with them and so that's how this came to be so the again like i said this wasn't a group of musicians who were like actively touring when Avisa social club wasn't like a real place in that moment in time but it was really trying to capture the legacy of um cuban music from this from this era and from these this generation of musicians many of whom were like very very old like in their 70s and 80s so it ended up being um 
you know, kind of a, I mean, as much music is right, but like there's some, um, kind of creation of a, of a, an idea of something that wasn't actually 100% real, but, um, but the music and the people obviously are real. So, um, that's, that's, it's just interesting that the, the album kind of started from a mistake almost of like, we tried to do this thing, we couldn't do it. And so now we're doing something else. Right. And what they did was like, you know, chase down all these musicians, right? Mm-hmm. Like all over that was like, okay, we know that you do this, you know, that you do this and, um, get all got all these folks together that had these traditions of these musical traditions that are were like really like instrumental to Cuba and Cuba's musicality and music traditions and like record those which is super dope mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. and yeah. this song is just beautiful oh, it's incredible yeah I mean I think there's something for me about albums that I listened to when they were a CDs versus like the way we listen to music now <laughs> where the first track of an album that I love like always hits particularly hard because you always hear it when you pull, put in that CD, you know, like it's the first thing that you hear. So um, that's like a, maybe a relationship that's going to die because of the way we listen to music now. Um, but so this, you know, the song had to be included and it's just like hauntingly beautiful as, as is most of so much of the music on this album. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that so much of the music on this album is just stunning and it has, you know, like, I don't know, Cuban music from, um, you know, like the middle of the 20th century, which I think is what this is sort of like, a, um, you know, harkens to um, is just like so gorgeous, so stunning. And um, I'm really, really glad that uh, at this time, you know, 1997 was also an interesting time musically. There was like we were like a, like about like to start, I think, like the midst of like the that latin boom that Mm -hmm. was happening in the 90s with ricky martin and all that stuff um so it wasn't exactly part of that because it wasn't so such a pop situation Mm -hmm. but um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's interesting within the mix for sure it's very different than the rest of the stuff yeah and i wish i you know i'm I'm referencing most of this npr story that ran that i found about um about the like making of this album but you know, like I mentioned, a number of the musicians like hadn't actually played music in many years. And they tell the story of um, in this article of Ibrahim Ferrer that he was this um, these two guys were asking, like, you know, does anybody sing boleros anymore? Like, does anybody sing in that style? And they're mm. like, oh, there's there's one dude, um, but he's hard to find. He's on the street somewhere. <laughs> and they 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 managed to find him. And he had been um, shining shoes to earn money at the time, you know? So really just like, um, a project of bringing people together who weren't, you know, who weren't actively. And and there's a lot about that reality that has to do with like the economic reality in Cuba and what the music industry looks like or didn't look like and what people had access to. Um, you know, another person said another person that was part of the project, like didn't even have a piano anymore because it had been destroyed by the tropical climate and woodworms. Like how, what is it, what, what is it required to even maintain these kinds of, um, instruments ability to play all that and you know there is like state-sponsored music and musicians in cuba so i don't know all the details of what was happening but you're also talking about um not that long after this quote special period right when the soviet union fell and like cuba went into Mm -hmm. like a real 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 terrific um economic crisis right so that's when you know of course things like music and and these different opportunities are not going to be maintained when people are struggling with like scarcity of food and supplies and things like that so yeah, for sure. There's a lot of complexity to it, but it really, I mean, it created an entire, it created a career for many people associated with like the Buena Vista brand um, for many years 
after even to this day, you know, um, even a few years ago. So we saw like them, the Buena Vista sort of people under that brand in concert. So it's an interesting um, phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. So before we move on to the next song, we wanted to take a little moment to talk about something that a listener brought to our attention from our interview with Javier Amena. Um, so there was a part of that interview, which was a few episodes ago, um, where she was talking about buying a gift for someone in Mexico, and she said that she brought a, she bought a gift from Unas Indias. And our listener pointed out that we just let it slide instead of using it as an opportunity to call Javiera in, and that that was hurtful. And we just wanted to, first of all, thank this listener for pointing it out and to say that also that she's right and that we're sorry that we let that be on our show. Um, Perez and I are constantly, constantly in conversations about our responsibility and what it means to be two light-skinned Latinx people hosting a show about Latinx music. And, you know, we're learning and unlearning stuff every day. Yeah. So we just wanted to say that we're sorry for that and that we, you know, have a commitment to keep learning and growing on issues of racial justice always. And in this case, that means we're acknowledging it here. We also decided to send a message to Javiera's folks, um, like her manager, both because we, sh- you know, we shouldn't let it slide. And also because we think that she's somebody interested in justice and hope that she'll benefit from the learning and reflection about, you know, the language she uses and how she talks about people as well. Yeah. So I just wanted to have a little moment, like a vulnerable accountability and also mm-hmm. think thankful to our listeners who keep us accountable and you know, encourage you to always do that for us. Yeah. Our DMS are open. (laughs) Always. 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 Yeah. Thanks y'all. All right. So our next song is my pick. It's called El Cuarto de Tula. Let's take a listen. Se ha formado la corredera En el barrio La Cachimba Se ha formado la corredera Allá fueron los sombreros Con sus campanas, sus sirenas Allí fueron los sombreros Con sus campanas, sus sirenas Ay, mamá Se ha formado la corredera Allá fueron los bomberos Con sus campanas, sus sirenas Allí fueron los bomberos Con sus campanas, sus sirenas Ay, mamá ¿Qué pasó? Ay, mamá So, one thing that I noticed About this song I mean, like I said Every song on this album I feel like is very, very beautiful But um, one of the things, one of the reasons that I chose this song was because it's like, it's about a fire. It's like, you know, it tells a story of basically like a neighborhood event that happened, you know? So it's just like, el cuarto de tuya le cogió candela, se quedó dormida, no apagó la vela, and then like, 
hablando de los bomberos, like all the like the revolu que pasó, you know, and it's just I don't know, to me that's super interesting, right? Like this um idea of like first of all songs as storytelling but also mm -hmm. songs as like a way that news travels a way that like uh, the oral tradition is carried out a way that like people find out about things um you know song especially um when there wasn't this like you know rapid mediums of communication and people have different like relationships to literacy i think is just one way for like news to travel into like you know basically like write history right and um and i think that that's so cool that's really why i chose this song yeah yeah it's it's real i i we were just saying that i like wish i'd rewatched the documentary more recently i've definitely seen it but i think it was a long time ago because like i think the story of even how these songs were I want to see created, but probably recreated, right? Because so many of these artists had been musicians many decades before, but not necessarily practicing in the moment. And I think some of these songs are probably just classics that were um, around in the time. So I imagine the process of like excavating them, bringing them back, like reviving them was probably really interesting creatively for these folks, especially some of whom hadn't actually been performing together um, in, in, in the past. So anyway, just like thinking about what was what was it like in that room you know yeah that yeah for creatively. sure yeah for sure so you know this this music is also has its like controversy in terms of the relationship between like cuban americans and particularly some cuban americans and like things that came from cuba post-revolution right so this these musicians all the people involved you know were living in cuba in the 90s so very much very past the revolution and so i don't remember what it was like in the nineties, like, and how, particularly like my father, I'm not sure how he relates to this album, whether he would listen to it or not, but there's definitely like very far, like right or conservative Cubans who have this or have had this stance of like anything from the Island is inherently connected to Castro and to the Castro government. And so you can't support or do anything in relationship to anything coming from La Isla, you know, post the mm. sixties, which is really complicated because, um, for many reasons, including the fact that, you know, there's millions of people still in Cuba, some of whom chose to stay, some of whom couldn't leave, some of whom didn't have a choice, you know, it wasn't in, like it, it became harder and harder to leave after the early 60s. Like the Cuban government didn't make it easy. And also some people benefited, particularly people who are poor and um, black, for example, like benefited more from some of the changes the revolution and the you know Castro government made than some of the people who are more privileged, right? Because their businesses were seized and things like that. So it's like very complicated dynamic. So the idea of like refusing to support anything from the island um, really cuts off, you know, millions of people and their, um, their ability to also like be connected outside the island and also like to thrive economically and whatever. So right, right, for sure. So I, I was reading, I was like trying to find more about this because like I know this is a thing, but you know, sometimes it's hard to like find record of things that happened in the 90s or whatever because like the internet wasn't, you know, like those things, like the articles and stuff, not a lot of them are online. But what I did find was somebody's dissertation. Maybe I should give him credit. I'm going to talk about his work. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose Eric, dissertation was it? Eric Jason, <laughs> Eric Jason Oberstein. Um, All right, at, Eric Jason. At Duke in 2007. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's, it's all about, um, the politics and commodification of Cuban music. And so there's a piece about, um, this question of like the relationship between Cubans in the U S like Cuban exiles, quote unquote, and Cuban music that's coming from the Island. And so this is an example of probably like one of the most popular things to ever come out of the Island. I think during, 
now there's more, right? Because there's there's like the relationship looks different. Also, Cuba economically is doing better than they were in like the 90s. Um, right. So, you know, we see more Cuban musicians from the island making it out of Cuba and like having a career, right? Like we bring people all the time, actually, who mm -hmm. are Cubans from La Isla, right? Um, but there was a time when he tells the story of how like the local radio station in Miami, when they started playing music from Cuban musicians from the island, they were boycotted. There was a bomb threat. Wow. People came to protest. Yeah. So, you know, and Miami is like the center of like the most sort of right wing Cubans who would be really anti like Castro right. and anti Cuba in a certain way, which is just like kind of hard yeah. to wrap your mind around. And it's going to be complicated, too, because there actually are a lot of people who have family on the island and off the island. I mean, especially the later yeah. people who didn't leave early 60s and couldn't didn't their whole families didn't leave. Like there's more fluidity, but there's still like has been this sort of staunch, you know, very right wing. Um, so. Anyway, all this to say that just like anything like this, I imagine that 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 when Buena Vista first came out, there were probably some protests and people who were trying to boycott it, and um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it feels very complicated and layered around class and race and politics and all the different things. I myself do not, you know, I'm I, I mean, I've been to Cuba, like I don't have any feelings. I mean, I have feelings about the Castro government for sure, but um, yeah. but not about you know supporting Cubans from the island or music or anything like that. So. It's not a controversy for me, but I just know that it's like that's that's some of the context surrounding this. And and I think the lo the 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 longer away we get from the revolution and from this generation of people, the less it becomes an issue. You know, although Cuba is obviously still very politicized, but I just wanted to like offer yeah. that context too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's really fascinating. Thank you for all that research. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think that this this album was so popular with like everybody right like it became an yeah. international hit i don't think that that context really follows it and anymore you know you have to be really like connected to sort of the dynamics of like the cuban-american community to understand it but it just became like this absolute breakout hit all around the world and these musicians yeah. were able to many of them leave cuba for the first time and travel and tour and Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. although I did see some questions about like how much were the musicians paid for this project and did they, you know, the two guys, as far as I can tell, the two guys who came, the British guy and the American guy, both white, most of the musicians in this project are many of them Afro-Cuban. Um, so, you know, the, I wonder about the economics of it too. And when it became such a big hit, how much did the musicians benefit from that versus like the, yeah, the record sure. companies and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but a lot of them did get... is so shady. I know. I know. I know. I can imagine. I can only mm -hmm. imagine how it all went down. All right. Shall we go into the next song? Yeah, this is my pick and it's called Dos Cardenas and it's a bolero and it's really beautiful. Let's take a listen. Dos Gardenias para ti. Con ella quiero decir Te quiero Te adoro Mi vida Ponle todas tu atención Que serán tu corazón Y el mío Dos gardenias para ti Que tendrán todo el calor De un Beso, de esos besos que te di y que jamás te encontrarán en el calor de otro querer. A tu lado vivirán y se hablarán 
como cuando estás conmigo y hasta creerán que se dirán te quiero pero si un atardecer las gardenias de mi amor se Um, so yeah, this is just beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's a boleto. It's, you know, this one in particular has this like incredible romantic melancholy to it that I think uh, is, yes. is kind of what is characteristic of boletos in general. Um, and it's interesting to think like reading the article about this, that like boletos at that time were considered this like old wave, this old type of music, you know? I mean, I, I think of it as like definitely like from a, a different past, but not so so past that like people be like oh does anybody sing it anymore i don't know that was interesting to see that mm -hmm. um but and i've said this before but i feel the same romantic melancholy in bachata and i think it's one of the things that ties these two genres together and 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 calls my attention because i grew up listening to a lot of boletos like through my my father particularly and so um i like that mood <laughs> i think it can yeah i can relate to it a lot um sort of like rom like love and and melancholy being like very connected or something about it so um so i don't know it's just beautiful you've you've been on a boleto click lately though right yeah actually it was doing the research for this album that i was like oh. this is such a vibe these boleros are such a vibe i'm like let me like take a deep dive on boleros so this is also something we've talked about mm -hmm. you and i like a number mm -hmm. of times i'm also like in this moment where I'm like recently vaccinated and thinking about like what my like outings, dream outings are, even though mm -hmm. like, you know, like the world is like sort of in sort of out, like the pandemic isn't over, you know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, I'm just like in this place where I'm letting myself fantasize. And like there was, a, um, I've been, you know, doing research for this, listening to this album, um, really moved by the boleros and uh, like thinking about myself like uh, drinking a glass of wine with my friend Isha on like a patio with twinkling lights and <laughs> boleros playing mm. and just like this is the vibe <laughs> and then I was like I took this deep dive and like made this like a whole bolero playlist that I have not gotten off of yet it's like yeah. what I'm listening to these days is like strictly boleros and I um Oh, I just love them so much. They're so, so beautiful. And this one is less so, but also like in making these bolero playlists, um, I chose a lot of boleros by women and they are so horny. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was All like, right. oh my God, don't let your parents fool you about la musica de hoy. This shit was like, yeah. it's like, a ti te quedo sabor a mi, like I see you girl. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I think we have a Boleros episode planned for in a little bit, so we'll get to go deeper into it. But I'm really yeah, happy we will, that you're. For sure. I'm really happy that you're on this tip, and I didn't know it was this album. And we we plan to record this episode like before the unexpected break, so we've been simmering on it for a little while. I'm really glad that yeah. it's inspired your Boleto kick. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, genre for sure. But this genre. song definitely made my Boleros playlist because yeah. it's so stunning. It's so gorgeous. Um, oh, I love it. I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's like stormy here. It's been raining a lot and it's just mm. like really matches this like romantic melancholic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> music. I just, but yeah. Uh, 
I love so that good. picture of of you and Isha on the patio drinking wine, and I feel like the thing that's missing is like you're talking about some like long lost love or something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't really <gasps> like you, but <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> I don't really have a long lost love, no. but you know, there's still time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're young still. <laughs> Nostalgia for a future romance. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I also don't have that either. No, <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll talk about we'll talk about our love lives. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break to talk about the sponsor of today's episode. So, as part of this campaign, Planned Parenthood asked us to show someone how we see them, like how we really see them. So today, Perez, I want to talk about how I see you. I see you every single day working hard to be a good partner and a good parent. I see you being really caring and really patient often with me. (laughs) And I really see your commitment to healing and to justice. And I feel so lucky to see you. Oh, you're really sweet. Um, (laughs) So Planned Parenthood also sees you, truly sees you, not just as patients, but also as people deserving of understanding and compassionate quality health care and education. And they understand the importance of having access to that care so that you can define exactly where you're going. You can visit www.beseen.org to learn more about how Planned Parenthood is here to see you become who you will be. That's www.beseen.org. Thanks so much. Let's get back to our episode. All right. So the next song is my pick. And it's also a really gorgeous bolero. And I think that this is the one that just like, I felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks and it like sent me on this bolero path. Mm. Um, let's take a listen to it. It's called Veinte Años. this bolero to be just devastating and beautiful it's um about an old love and reminiscing about the way that like two people can love each other deeply and the way that that can just evaporate and like Mm. this is one of those songs that unexpectedly made me just like feel something like 
you know, it's not like a thing that I have a lot of feelings about, like having loves and having that love be gone now. I mean, I think about it, but like this song puts me in this place where I'm like just like transported into this person's feelings about it. And I just like feel it. And I think that like that's one thing that I really, really love about songs. Like sometimes when it's like, you know, like I definitely have like loved people and then like have had that evaporate. So it's not like that I don't have this experience, but like I love songs that like transport me into an experience that like isn't necessarily mine or I'm not having it and just like Mm -hmm. puts me in the place where I'm just like, wow, I really feel this. Like I just like, I'm like, wow, you're really doing your job here. Song (laughs) like really, Mm -hmm. really doing it. And like, you know, it reminded me, Perez, of the, you know, like the other day, like a few weeks back, you sent me this poem and I confessed to you that I don't usually connect with poetry because it's, you know, it's just like not really my medium. I find most poetry that I've like encountered, like not super appealing personally, although there's definitely a few poets who really do resonate with me. So it might just be that I don't know how to find poetry that I like reliably. (laughs) And since I like don't really seek it out, then I'm not, you know, I haven't developed that. But like, I think that, you know, songs are poetry, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes poetry like really unexpectedly hits and this song feels like that to me. Um, And the last thing I want to say about the song is that the vocalist is Omara Portuondo, who's like, I think her voice is simply stunning. And I think part of like what really makes me feel something, I think that sometimes there's some vocalists that have this like emotion in their voice that like is just transcendent. And I think she's one of them. And Perez and I were super, super fortunate to see her live back mm-hmm. when concerts were a thing. And when Avisa Social Club, you know, like some remaining members, some new <laughs> members mm-hmm. um, uh, were on tour and um, Omara Portondo was there. And it was just like such a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was incredible. That was just our friend Sarah. Shout out Sarah. Adelo, hey. and it was at that like the really beautiful outdoor venue in DC. Yeah, I know it feels like another era that we did that. Um, I had to I look know. back to be like, wait, what poem did I send you? And I like looked back at our our Instagram DMs, and so it's a poem. Yeah, it's a poem about by Elizabeth Acevedo, who's really like a spoken word poet and like an incredible um, YA author. She's got she's a Dominican American um, Afro Dominican author, and she's incredible. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's about. It's about that Joe Arroyo song um, about uh, La Rebellion, right? Which is about yeah. you know, race and, and, and enslaved folks and, you know, the ways in which people rebelled. And so anyway, it's, I sent it to you because it was like, it was about music and this particular experience of, of music. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't surprised to hear that, like, you're not into poetry. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, music is very much yeah. poetry. So I yeah, appreciate I that you can, like, see that in this song. And um and yeah, I mean, she's an incredible, she's an incredible vocalist. I don't think there were very many women involved in the original Buena Vista, um, which is not super surprising. Also, it's thinking about mm-hmm. like that a lot of these musicians were musicians in the 40s, you know, and the way that sexism impacts um, who gets to be um, doing that. Although obviously there have been, you know, like Celia and like there's been in- incredible Cuban Ameri- um, women musicians. Of course, but, yeah. But yeah, to get to see uh, Omada was, was crazy. It was considered like their fa- farewell tour. Um, so I don't know what the, you know, if their plans are, um, if there's anything to come again, you know, this is like a loosely grouped group of people and all the dynamics of like what it, what, what Cuba allows and doesn't allow for people in terms of right. know, business and travel. And it's very complicated. Um, 
I keep like Googling little questions as we're recording. And I read another article about, um, so in like 2005, there was like a copyright infringement lawsuit between the Cuban, like a Cuban government sponsored, um, you know, music company, you know, cause in Cuba until very recently, like everything is state owned, right? Like there's no, right, you know, there was right. no private business, no private industry. And now there's like a little bit more opening around that. So anyway, so it was like, the you know the people that recorded this music um for buena vista and a cuban you know government sponsored group were fighting about who owns the copyright to this to some of these music these songs which is complicated honestly um business aside right like what does it mean for like an outside entity like a british entity to come in and like work with these very like um yeah for you know sure low income right like people don't have a lot of resources you know sort of excavate this music and then you know make a ton of money off it and then be like okay now we own it you know whereas like these songs again were like these songs weren't you know created by anybody or they were they were sort of part of this popular knowledge and genre anyway so it's it's complicated and so in some of those court filings there's um allegations that like the the musicians were paid like a few pesos and some rum or something um for their participation in this which may very well be true also like the embargo (laughs) like the u.s embargo impacts like the ability of um american companies for example to pay people and keep like it's all very like layered right it's super layered i don't know if if the uk if they participate in the cuban embargo or whatever so not to excuse like that kind of thing but to also understand that there's like there's a complex like geopolitical thing that's happening that's shaping um, what it looks like. So some of it says that after the embargo, like in the 90s, like later on when the embargo, some of the embargo rules changed and they like compensated like some of the families of the people who were involved because mm. many of them were, many of them were dead. Right. Because they were, were a lot of old. elders. There were a lot of elders. Yeah. A lot of people in there like seventies and eighties. So anyway, lots, lots there. But, um, but I just wanted to also bring that piece up. You know, when you have something like this that becomes such a hit, um, you know, who gets, who makes the money from it? And it's often not the people who are the creative folks, unfortunately. Right. Right. Okay. My next song for this episode is uh, Candela. And we're doing these also, by the way, in order of how they appear on the album. So just in case you're following along at home. (laughs) Um, So the next one is called Candela. Let's take a listen.
So the voice on this track is Ibrahim Ferrer, who's the person I was talking about earlier, who, um, you know, they had to kind of go find him to bring him to, to participate in this and that he'd been like, you know, shining shoes. And he was 69 when this um, was recorded. And he's just an incredible vocalist. Um, and this is a son, which is a particular um, style of Cuban music. Um, and I just, I love like the speed of this one, right? Like, it, you know, some of these songs yeah. are very slow and beautiful and like yeah, whimsical. Yeah, yeah. And this one has like some tempo to it that I find really um, energizing in, com- in comparison to some of the other ones. Um, and I remember that my brother had a car in his 20s that he named Candela, which I thought was funny. Um, and probably that's, came from this that's reference. That's super cute. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you name your cars? <laughs> I don't name my cars. I don't. That I makes don't it sound like we all have a car. lot of cars or something. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> like, I have names. zero cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're you're newly carless. Yeah. I I named the car that I had in high school that lasted until like a couple of years ago. That was like I kept running for like 15 years. Um, and, um, I, uh, that the car was named Lupe, <laughs> Lupe Lupita, which actually was a reference, a literary reference. Cause I'm a big nerd to, um, a, um, Carlos Fuentes novel. Did you ever read any Carlos Fuentes at all? I don't think so. He's like a pretty well-known Mexican novelist and also kind of a misogynist. Um, I, I Ooh. did a. One of my like final, I was a I was a literature Spanish literature minor in college, and one of my final papers was about um, the Trinidad Femenina de Carlos Fuentes, which was you know mother virgin whore, of course. Anyway, there was a story in one of his novels about um, a girl whose mother like named her Lupe Lupita to try to protect her, sort of naming her with the name of the virgin. Anyway, very random story, but that was the name of my car. But I've had another car for like four years now, and I just, I nothing has come to me. So it does not have a name. But back to the song itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just a, an incredibly beautiful song. And we do, some of these songs do have um, composer references. And this one was composed by Faustino Oramas, who was known as El Guayabero, which I think is a great nickname. Very great. Um, yeah, and this song has a lot of like sexual innuendo, and um, it's just a it's an incredible song, like so many of these. One thing that I really appreciate about a lot of these songs and songs from this era is the sexual innuendo. It's like how mm-hmm. you can get away talk with talking about something that's like sort of taboo, but it's like also like a part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean Cuba in particular, like. Havana there was this pre-revolution like it was like a play place for like Americans right like people would go there and like right right you know drugs sex like you know gambling like it had a very um kind of complicated relationship too on that front for so I sure imagine that some of this music was also connected to that that relationship and that that scene in Cuba you know like Hemingway and all these people you know who would like fly off to Cuba it's so close to the United States too go and sort of like and the sort of exoticism and, and racism behind like going to do these things you know and it's, I guess it's not that different than like the way people relate to Mexico sometimes as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what's your last pick for this episode my last pick for this episode is Amor de Loca Juventud let's take a listen to it
song about young love and reminiscing about young love as a fantasy but the reason that I brought it other than it being a gorgeous song is that it also um, feels like a political allegory you know especially like you know it, it talks about like la ilusión and la inspiración and like to me it's like thinking about like esa ilusión of the early revolutionaries right and especially like young people right like young people were heavily involved politically mm-hmm. in um the the middle of the 20th century in cuba and um you know the way that over time the revolution came to feel like a fantasy of youth that didn't really bear out in the way that they'd hoped mm-hmm. um I thought was super, super interesting. Um, And, you know, it's sort of thematically devastating, right? Like in that respect. Um, But it's also like the song feels like peppy and like alegre as Mm -hmm. well, right? Which also uh, speaks to me about resilience and like the resilience of Cuban people and any community struggling through something really difficult, right? So it's just like, okay, we did this thing like for a lot of people who were involved with it, it didn't really come out the way that they hoped or thought it would. Um, and yet like people still are fighting and surviving and making beautiful music and mm-hmm. et cetera. So I don't know, that's sort of how I interpreted this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I appreciate that you like paid more attention to lyrics in this, um, this episode, you know, you don't, I know you want to always like go there when you're looking. At yeah. Music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was just so interested in what folks were saying. I was like, you know, looking up the lyrics and looking up like, you know, like, what is the significance of some of these? And I know mm-hmm. that a lot of these are like old songs that have like mm-hmm. really do- deep um, rooted traditions. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I wish I knew more about that. There's so much here, you know, there's so much here. Definitely. I mean, like somebody wrote their dissertation about one aspect of this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, they wrote it about Cuban music, not just Buena Vista, but. That's there. You could write right. a whole dissertation on just Buena Vista. Um, I'm sure there are many. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this was on Rolling Stones magazine's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And it was only one of two albums on the list to be produced in a non-English speaking country, you know? So like just sort of speaks wow. to like how much this resonated, I guess. And, and mm-hmm. how success, I mean, it's incredible, incredible music. So, and as of 2015, it had sold over 12 million copies. So I imagine that's even more now. Damn. Yeah. I really hope that the people involved and their families got something from this, you know, beyond. I mean, obviously, like, there's, it may have, like, renewed some interest or, or ability to do music in a different way, you know? 
but I mm. hope that, that there was, I don't know. It just makes me sad to think that the people who, um, were the creators of this and like instrumental to it, you know, pun intended, um, wouldn't benefit from it. Like that feels really hard. Even though I know that's often the reality in these kinds of dynamics, especially when you're like this whole thing of like people from like colonizer countries go to like, you know, right. Um, go to somewhere that's been colonized and like bring something back and like share it with the world. You know, like it has all of those like icky. Ooh, yes. All those weird layers. It's like like, on mm -hmm. one hand, like we got this and those folks got like a level Mm -hmm. of visibility and, Mm -hmm. you know, career boosts and everything. And also it's just like, that doesn't mean that any of that was fair. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Particularly the dynamic where, Mm-hmm. some white people are in charge mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. deciding what should be elevated mm-hmm. because people in Cuba mm-hmm. cannot do it for themselves because right. of a number of historical and mm-hmm. systemic colonizing mm-hmm. bullshit. Yep. 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 Oh, yeah. but it is really beautiful. Music, <laughs> I know. And it is really I am music. very grateful to have access mm-hmm. to it. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I hope that at least the people who've toured with Buena Vista in the more recent years have gotten to benefit from it more because I know touring is like a big way that musicians earn, right? Like that's a, that's often yeah. like, like the most significant source of income for musicians. So I hope that that yeah, um, yeah for sure that at least did something for the people who are involved in in more recent times. So I hope this this uh, kind of revisiting an album from God almost thirty years ago now like. 25 years ago a while ago um brought some enjoyment for y'all as it did for us and some of my nerding out about the history and the controversy (laughs) yeah i was i'm really grateful to have gotten to dive deep into this album because it'd been a minute since i'd listened to it and it set me off on my bolero kick which we will again address in a future bolero episode that we've been talking about for years (laughs) so it's um it's been really great to familiarize myself and dive back into these songs because they're just so stunning Mm -hmm. yeah well thanks so much for listening y'all um as always all the information about the songs we talked about are in our show notes at rallymanea.com yeah, and you can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. We're on all the places. We also have a cute newsletter that we send out every time that we have an episode where we include all sorts of things that don't really make their way anywhere else. So check that out. Gracias, gracias, gracias. And hasta la próxima. Hasta la próxima, babies. Saludos. Llego a Puerto, voy para Marcané, llego a Puerto.